Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about one of the very first sets I ever worked on. Now, I did a podcast on alliances, which was the very first set I worked on. Um, but alliances, like I said, was there was a billion people. I had 13 people on the team, something crazy. Um, Mirage was the first team in which I was a major portion of the team, uh, the development team. Um, remember, I was, I was hired not as a designer, but as a developer. So in my early years, I did a lot of development. Um, so Mirage, so what happened was, uh, I talked about how R&D has different waves, uh, sort of think about the people that were there. So wave one of R&D mostly were people that were playtesters in the, the original Magic. So we're talking about Scaff Elias, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, um, and uh, at the tail end of that would be Charlie Catino, which I'll talk about today. Um, wave two uh, people I consider to be uh, the people that came in the next sort of two years in were me, Bill Rose, Mike Elliott, and William Jockish, and Henry Stern. Um, although Henry, Henry wouldn't start until Tempest, so he wasn't there yet. But so... Wave 2, what happened was, Wave 1 was there, they had worked on magic, Wizards got big enough that all the Wave 1 people went to work on other products or left the company. And so they brought in this new wave of people, Wave 2, to sort of take care of the day-to-day of magic. So meanwhile, you know, Richard and Scaff and Jim and all those, they were off doing other products and doing other things. And so the four of us were essentially magic R&D. And so the Mirage development team was... The four of us, me and Bill and Mike and William. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the design team. So what happened was when Richard first uh, wanted to playtest the game, he went out to different groups that he knew of, of gamers and helped them, got them to playtest. Now, um, eventually there, there would be some intermingling, but when he f- it first started, there were different sections of people that he knew. For example, the East Coast playtesters, the people that made Ice Age and Alliances and Fallen Empires and Antiquities, uh, which was Scaphalize, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, Chris Page, those people he met through school, uh, through UPenn, I believe. Um, so this next group, uh, he met through Bridge. There was a Bridge Club that he went to. And so in the Bridge Club, he met Bill Rose, Joel Mick, Charlie Catino, uh, in fact, this whole group, I believe, are, are bridge club people. So the design team for Mirage, uh, Bill, was, Bill and Joel, I think, were the co-leads of the design. Um, and then Charlie Catino, Don Felice, Howard Collenberg, and Elliot Siegel. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the design team. Okay, so I've talked a lot about Bill. There's not too much else to say about Bill. I mean, there is things else to say about Bill. Um, I'll tell a little story about Bill, since I, I, I've told a lot more... Uh, Fancy history stuff. I'll tell. I'll tell a little. Uh, one of the things I used to do when um, uh, I used to go home and talk about where I worked, that I would find some idiosyncratic, like little funny story about each of my coworkers, just you know, to sort of show the lighter side of them. And this is the story I used to tell about Bill. Is Bill loves making brownies? Uh, he, he, I mean, Bill. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but Bill just loves cooking brownies. He likes baking brownies. Um, and one day, Bill said to himself. You know, life is better when I have a brownie. So you know what? I'm going to make sure that every day I have a homemade brownie. And so what Bill did is he would make brownies, and he would make sure that every day he had a brownie, and he's like, he wanted to see how many days this could last. 
And it went on for quite a while. It went on for months, I believe. And finally, Bill's like, okay, okay, I don't need a brownie every day. Um, but it was funny that they just, you know. And Bill, by the way, um, when uh, I have parties. My wife and I, Laura, we have parties all the time. And one of our running jokes is when we would invite Bill to one of our parties because he made awesome brownies, we'd always invite brownies plus guests. Brownies plus one. <laughs> um, but anyway... Like I said, I've talked a lot about Bill. I mean, there's plenty more to say. But, I mean, uh, Bill was one of the original playtesters. I mean, he, he was the one person in the wave two of uh, R&D that was one of the original playtesters. The rest of us were just magic players. You know, Bill was actually connected in the game very early on. Um, and the other interesting factoid about Bill is I was trying to figure out uh, where drafting came from. Uh, and that the earliest drafting that was done in Magic, way, way before Magic started, uh, it goes back to Bill. That Bill's the person that did the first drafting. So anyway, if you like to draft, way, way, way back when, the, the precursor, the, the person who started drafting with Magic was Bill Rose. Okay, next, let's get on to Joel Mick. So Joel, um, when I started, Joel was in R&D, and essentially he has the job I have now, except back then, the head designer and head developer were one person. Uh, and so he was the head, you know, designer slash developer. Um, and, uh, quickly, not, not too long after I was there, maybe after a, a year or two, he went on to the brand team and Joel Mick for a while was the brand manager. Um, and Joel was the brand manager during a lot of big innovations. Like Joel was responsible for putting the rarity on cards, uh, putting the, um, what else, uh, for the premium cards, um, the collector number, you know, Bill was very big at, at both sort of putting more information on the card, uh, and about sort of making the collector, making it a little more fun to collect by adding the premiums and stuff. Um, and Joel was, Joel was a lot of fun. I mean, Joel, Joel is definitely someone who is very focused. Um, and, uh, he, he ended up leaving Wizards a little bit after we were bought by Hasbro. Um, but, in fact, I saw he, he swung by the office once a couple years ago, uh, and he's doing well and has a family. And, um, yeah, Joe, Joe was a fun person to work with in that he, 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 he always knew what he wanted. You know, uh, some people are indecisive. Joe was never indecisive. Uh, and Joel, I, I think Joel was one of the, the better brand managers. I mean, Magic's had some very awesome brand managers, so uh, I, I'm not saying he's the best. But he was definitely one of the top. I, I think that a lot of good happened under his reign uh, as, as a brand manager um, and that he, a lot of good things a lot of good things came to magic because of, of Joel um, design wise I believe so when Mirage got made he would have been he was still the head designer developer so um, he put together the team I assume but, but put together the team is incorrect like now we, we, we select people right like this development team is these people so when we started um for the first couple of years, the development team was the guys who did Magic R&D. That's who the development team was. So uh, myself and Bill and Mike and uh, William were, were just, you know, we were the development team. And Henry got added a year later. Then the five of us were the development team. Um, okay, so, uh, oh, let me add, let's see, Don Felice. So I've, I've met Don a bunch of times. I, I can't say too much about Don. Um, the, the little magic trivia about Don is... Uh, Felden's Kane is an anagram of Don's name with his Don Felice. Um, and they had tried to get Don's name into a card earlier. 
Um, and something happened, I forget what the card was, uh, that it was supposed to be, um, was it Felton? Don Feliz? I can't remember the story. Anyway, uh, Don's a nice fellow. I met him a couple times. He, he's never worked at Wizards, but, uh, he, back in the day, would swing by every once in a while. So I, I had a chance to, you know, have dinner with him a couple times and talk with him. Uh, I think I met Howard Kaltenberg once at, at an event. And Elliot Siegel, or think it back. I think I met, no, I met Howard once. I think I met Elliot once, but I, I have no stories of either of them. Uh, they never really came out to Wizards. I saw them at events, and like it was, I was introduced by Bill or somebody for two seconds and said hello. Um, but the six of them, anyway. So oh, let's talk about how how Mirage came to be. So when Richard first sold Magic, when it was clear that Magic was going to get made, Richard realized that they were going to need expansions. Although once again, let me stress that in Richard's mind, what was going to happen was Magic was going to sort of refresh every year. So the first year was going to be called Magic the Gathering. The second year was going to be Magic Ice Age. You know, that each year would be a new game. And that, remember, the, the card backs were going to change originally. And the idea was, this is this year's game. This is this year's game. And that the cards would be compatible with each other. Um, and I don't think Richard thought too much about the backs like them being incompatible he just thought like each year it would be a new sort of set of magic that you could play and that that would sort of revamp what magic is and that the cards were compatible you could play them together um, and then basically Arabian Nights was going to have a different back and um, Scaff convinced Richard that not not to change it uh, and that the back, magic back then had a consistent back um, anyway when Richard knew that they were going to need more stuff more sets he went to, um, he had three kind of groups that he dealt with. One of which was the East Coast Playtafters that he knew from school. One was uh, the Bridge Club. And one was his friend, um, Bit, uh, Bit, uh, Barry Reich. Um, and each one of those, so the, uh, the, the uh, East Coast Playtafters, they ended up working on Ice Age. They made Ice Age. Um, and Barry worked on a set called Spectral Chaos, of which we would borrow pieces of it for Invasion. Um, the domain mechanic is, is Barry's, the Barry mechanic, uh, he made it. Um, and then the, um, the Bridge Club, they made a set they called Menagerie. Uh, and the idea of their set was they had a, a story they wanted to tell. Uh, and the story was about three wizards that got in a war. And see if you, if, if you know, if you know your Mirage, maybe you can name the three wizards. Uh, so the three wizards were Karavek, Jolrel and Mangara. So, where does the name Mangara come from? For those uh, wordplay aficionados, Mangara is the word anagram, anagrammed. Uh, they thought that was funny. Um, in fact, one of the things is, uh, back in the day, the people who made the set did a lot more naming. Like, now, nowadays, I'll make a set, and I mean, if I have a good shot at a name, I will name a card that, and some of the names will stay. If I have a really solid name, you know, sometimes they'll stick around. Um, you know, in Innistrad, for example, we had a lot of top-down stuff, and, you know, um, there were plenty of cards that we made that, you know, in fact, some of the cards, like Jar of Eyeballs or, uh, you know, Creepy Dolly, started by the name, and then the name stayed, because that, that was such a perfect example of what the concept was. Um, but back in the day... Um, I mean, the cards were mostly named by the designers and that, you know, um, so the, the designers would do a lot more of the story and stuff. The, the, now there's a whole creative team. So the, the, the 
the menagerie, that, that was the code name, the menagerie team had an idea for this idea of this war between three people. Now, I don't know if they had planned for it to be set in a African style. Um, so Mirage's uh, art director was um, uh, Sue Ann Harkey was her name. And um, Sue Ann Harkey was an awesome art director. Uh, I think that she added a lot of a lot of people that went on, like Kev Walker and Paolo Parente, and a lot of people that went on to be very staple magic artists for a long time were discovered you know, or found by Sue Ann Harkey. Um, the the one quirk about Sue Ann Harkey, which I will get to when we get to some of the stories about this about the set, is she did not understand magic. She knew art, and she was a very good art. You know, she knew her art and was very good with that, but just didn't know magic. And so we had, we had a lot of problems of the artist would paint something that she didn't catch and we would have to change cards because the, the art actually contradicted something about the card mechanically. Um, that happens very infrequently nowadays because, uh, you know, Jeremy Jarvis, the current art director, he, like, is much more up on, on magic and, in, you know, what we need. And, you know, a lot of times the art and the mechanics have a lot of, uh, you know, there's looseness there that, uh, you know, the art is just representing the concept. But, but sometimes the art does something so emphatically that it's hard for the card to mechanically do something. And as we'll get to, there's a whole bunch of cases of that happening. Um, okay, so they made Menagerie. Um, and what happened was uh, uh, Richard had promised uh, his team that they could make some stuff. And meanwhile, at the same thing, uh, Peter Atkinson had also gone on. He found some people to make sets. So if you look at the early sets of Magic... Okay, so Arabian Nights was done very quickly by Richard. Um, uh, and Arabian Nights was done fast because they didn't realize how fastly they would need another set. Um, and so Richard did Arabian Nights very fast. So Antiquities was done by the East Coast Playtester, so that was one of Richard's group. Um, Legends was done by Steve Conard, which is a very good friend and one of the founders of Wizards, which was uh, one of Peter's friends. And then The Dark was done by Jesper Mirforce, who was the art director at the time, was one of Peter's friends. And then Fallen Empires was done by these Coast Playtesters, so that's one of Richard's friends. Uh, and then after Fallen Empires was uh, Ice Age, Ice Age, which was uh, East Coast Playtesters. And after Ice Age was Homelands. Homelands was done by Kyle Namvar and Scooter Hungerford, Scott Hungerford, um, who were Peter's, people Peter knew. Uh, and then after that was Alliances, which was East Coast Playtesters again. So in early Magic, you can see, like, some were done by Peter's friends, some were done by Richard's friends. In fact, a lot of the early ones, were, you'll notice, were done by the, I keep calling them the East Coast Playtesters, but Scaphalias, Jim Lynn, um, uh, uh, Scaphalias, Jim Lynn, um, Dave Petty, Chris Page. Uh, because they, three of them came out, so they were the ones that were at Wizards, and so they, they were more hands-on, and so... I think a lot of their stuff got done earlier because they were just there to sort of maneuver it and, and, and uh, work on it. I just realized something. I forgot somebody. I mean, I mentioned him in passing, but I did not talk about Charlie Catino, which is a, a great, great heir. Um, Someone jump back there. Here's the thing I know. My, my, my podcast started getting transcripted, that when you hear me talk and, like, I'm jumping around, like, okay, that's how people talk. But somehow when you read it, it just reads odd, so it may be absent-minded. Okay, so Charlie Catino. So... I, right now, if you look at Wizards um, and talk about how long you've been there, um, I'm not, we're not, not counting the people who were previously at TSR, stayed, you know, and came over to Wizards, so some of them go longer, but just had started working at Wizards, ended work at Wizards, the longest amount of time working there, um, I'm number eight, I, I, the eighth longest. Um, 
Bill is number seven, because Bill started two weeks before me. But number one, number one, so an employee who has worked the longest at Wizards consecutively um, is Charlie Catino. And Charlie was one of the original playtesters. He came out a little earlier than Bill. Bill had some responsibilities. Bill was, at the time, working in a chemistry lab. He was running, he was uh, the administrator, I think, of running a chemistry lab. And so uh, Bill had had been tied up in some stuff, and so it took a while for Bill to sort of get through that. Um, Charlie was able to come out earlier. He didn't come out as early as the original group, like Scaff and Jim, but he came out uh, in January of 95. Uh, Like, I came out in October of 95. He came out in January, or February, actually. Um, actually, here's a little um, uh, a little funny tidbit. So when I got hired, uh, for p- those people that don't know the story, um, I was out visiting. Uh, I said, like, I'd be willing to move to Wizards. And then Mike Davis, who was the head of R&D at the time, said, when could you start? Uh, and then many weeks went by, and I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard from them. Um, and so I finally called Mike Davis, and he said, oh, well, yeah, um... You know, the Magic team's interested in hiring you, and the Duelist's interested in hiring you, and R&D's interested in hiring you, so we're trying to figure out, you know, who, who's going to hire you. Um, so note at this time, this the early Wizards, when I talk about Wizards, uh, that things were very, you know, HR also, young, you know, not very experienced in HR. So I hadn't yet negotiated anything, and he told me that three different sections of the company were fighting over me. So when I went to negotiate... Um, what I was told by someone who'd, who'd done this was that it's hard to negotiate money. You, you, you can only push money so much. But just ask for anything you can think to ask for. Just come up with other perks. So one of the perks I thought to ask for was I asked for my start date to be technically January 1st, 1995 um, for all benefits. Uh, meaning I would get a vacation right away. You know, that I, that my, I just said, look, assume I start at the beginning of the year, then I accrue all benefits. Now, it turns out that that got me stock options because I was there longer. Uh, so, it, you know, it ended up being a really good deal. But the funny thing is, uh, the way HR figured out how to do this is they just stuck me in their computer starting January 1st. And so every year, January 1st, they're like, congratulations, happy anniversary. Uh, because, because I negotiated that start date. Uh, as far as our HR is concerned, that is my start date. So the funny thing is, Charlie is the actual oldest employee, but on the books, I am the oldest employee because I negotiated for an earlier start date. Anyway, little, little side thing. Um, okay, so Charlie, uh, uh, Charlie was on the design team for Tempest. So the design team for Tempest, if you remember my very first podcast, was me, Richard Garfield, Mike Elliott, and Charlie Catino. Um, now, Charlie um, now works very little on Magic. He works a lot on um, uh, Duel Masters and Kaijudo, which is a, a game we make for the... Well, Duel Masters is... We started a game for the Japanese market, and then we moved it over here, and over here it's called Kaijudo. Yes, it has an English name in Japan and a Japanese name in, in, uh, here in the United States. Um... And but Charlie for a long time did a lot of work on Magic, and um, uh, although even at this point he had moved on, meaning he wasn't on the development team, uh, but he had been on the design team. And one of Charlie's quirks for a lo- the longest time, in fact, it might still be going on, is when Charlie's name was in the Alpha rulebook, I believe it was misspelled. And then what Charlie did is from then on he purposely misspelled his name, but differently in every credit he got. So whenever you see Charlie. Uh, his, his name's always messed up, and that's a running thing that Charlie does. Charlie's an awesome guy. He's a lot of fun. Um, uh, and when we get to the card by card, Charlie had there's a few stories that Charlie uh, about the, the set. Um, okay, 
So now that I've talked about the people, uh, oh, let me get back to, okay, so the, uh, the fun of my podcast, this is how my brain works, I just bouncing around. Okay, so we were talking about how the set finally got made. So, um, Ice Age had gotten done, and Bill was now coming to, to Wizards, and Joel was now the head designer, and so Joel and Bill said, okay, this is a perfect time, what, Bill's going to be here, you know, uh, and they, they set it up so Bill would lead the development for Mirage, which, by the way, uh, I might see my trivia, there's not a lot of times where the head designer of a set was also the lead developer. Um, nowadays, you're not, we, we, don't, we don't let that happen, because um, we want a second set of eyes, but uh, Bill was the co-lead of Mirage Design and the lead developer of Mirage, uh, like I said, which is a, a rare thing these days. Um, I believe Aaron, by the way, also did this, because Aaron, I think, was the lead designer of Lorwyn. I believe he was the head developer, or the lead developer of Lorwyn. Um, so, I think he was. Anyway, um, so what happened was, uh, they decided that it was a good time because Bill was going to get there, and, and so Bill and Joel were now both there, and that way they could oversee their baby. Um, and, like I said, the, the idea of the set was they wanted to tell about this world and this story about this war between these three wizards. Um, and one of the wizards... So, Karavak is the, you know, the, the evil one, if you will. Um, and what happens is Karavak kidnaps Mangara, and he imprisons him in um, the Amber Prison. Uh, and so, uh, Joel Rail has to go rescue um, Mangara. And, uh, in order to get there to free him, um, they end up using the Weatherlight. The flying ship Weatherlight. That's where the Weatherlight... Um, I think... I'm trying to remember when we made the Weatherlight story, um, whether or not we knew... I think we knew about the idea of the Weatherlight ship, and we... I think that was already part of their story, and we said, oh, we could make the Weatherlight ship the, the, the home base of our characters for the Weatherlight saga. And so we ended up borrowing that and said, you know, a flying ship seems like a good... Because we knew that we were, every year we are going to go to different worlds, and we're like, well, in order to do that and have a cast of characters, well, they would need to travel from world to world. And then we ended up with the flying ship. And uh, So anyway, the, the uh, Sisse and the Weatherlight make, you know, make an appearance in um, Mirage and Visions, and then in Weatherlight, obviously, the whole story kicks off with the Weatherlight saga. Um, and so, anyway, they want to tell the story. Um, I know... I mean, Teferi was involved because Teferi was doing experiments. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't remember exactly how the whole story plays out. I know Mangara gets imprisoned by Karavak. Um, anyway. Uh, but anyway, they, they were trying to get a feel. Uh, I, I, Teferi was also involved because Teferi... Was there four wizards? I thought there were three wizards. Anyway, Teferi was involved. He was doing experiments. So that leads us to one of the mechanics. Okay, so the set had two major mechanics. Flanking and phasing. Now, phasing, the idea was that Teferi was messing around with time. Uh, and the idea of phasing, um, I, I don't know which came first. My guess is phasing came first, and the, the Teferi part of the story was to justify phasing. Um, phasing was a mechanic that said, you are there every other turn. So, let's say you play it on turn one. Turn two, it disappears. Turn three, it's back. Turn four, it disappears. Turn five, it's back. And so the idea was, you got to, uh, a much bigger creature than... Um, you would normally get because you only had the creature half the time. Um, and I... Well, the, well, the phasing was interesting. I mean, the gameplay of phasing was interesting. 
Um, it had a few... The biggest problem, I think, was how long it took before you could attack with the phasing creature. So if I played a creature in turn one at summon sickness, turn two would phase out, turn three could attack. So it's like I had to wait three turns to attack with the phasing creature. I, I think that was... That, that caused a lot of problems with it uh, from a... Um, from constructed. I mean, we did figure out a way to make things constructed with phasing, uh, which was things that could phase themselves out. So phasing as a means to protect oneself, meaning I'm there all the time, but whenever there's a threat, I can phase myself out, meaning I would go away and come back next turn. Uh, and that uh, turned out to be something that was, was good, especially when it didn't cause you mana, cost you mana. But we'll get to that. Um, so phasing was a sort of a costing mechanic, and then flanking was a combat mechanic. So what flanking was is um, whenever you were blocked by a creature without uh, flanking, you got minus one, minus one. Uh, And flanking was supposed to represent horseback. Uh, uh, Horseback would go on to be represented by horsemanship in in, uh, Portal Free Kingdom. Um, But the idea was that I'm up on a horse, and so if I attack you, you are a tactical disadvantage because I'm higher than you. But if I run into somebody else that has a horse, that's on horse, well, then there's no disadvantage. Um, and so flanking was... Because repre- one of the things they were trying to do was it was a war between these different uh, wizards that put together their armies. And, and I think that part of what they were trying to do is that each, each, each section had their own army and the cards would represent their army a- between this fight. Um, and so um, I th- I'm not sure whether the, hor- the flanking was one particular army. Um, it would have been Jorel's army, because Jorel was the one that uh, had all the animals and such. Um, so I, maybe it was Jorel's army that... Um, so, anyway, you can t- tell my, my, my knowledge of way back when story. Um, but anyway, so phasing and flanking were the two named mechanics. Um, there were a few other, um, I mean, not named mechanics. So probably the other big thing, that biggest thing, that they introduced was uh, Mirage was the first set to have charms. And so charms were cheap spells that had three different effects. Uh, so they all cost one colored mana, and then you got three small effects. And the idea was, um, sometimes there's effects that are just too small to put on cards. And so the idea the team had was, well, what if you gave people an option that any one of them wasn't worth the card, but the flexibility of any of the three of them was worth the card? Um, and charms were going to be very popular, so much so that, I mean, we keep redoing charms. We keep making new charms. Um, I mean, obviously, we just returned to Ravnica. I had two color charms uh, that we hadn't done before. And so... Um, but yeah, Mirage, Mirage was the first set to have the charms. Um, it also was the first set to have... Uh, I'm not sure what to call them. I think people call them insta-enchantments. Uh, but they were enchantments that you could cast um, essentially with Flash, although uh, Flash did not exist at the time. Um, Oh but, oh, but the trick about them was, they weren't straight up flash. The trick about them was, um, you could play them normally, like a normal aura, but if you played them at instant speed, then they only lasted for the turn. So essentially, they were kind of like an instant that just lasted to one turn, although technically they, they did, you know, go on, the creature. Um, aura was an aura that stuck around, and you kind of had a choice. Um, later on, we would simplify that to just being... Um, uh, we just put flash on auras and said, like, we don't need it. There's enough negative auras. We don't need them to fall off if you cast them from flash. Um, oh, something I forgot on flanking, by the way. I'm, I'm a little scattershot today. Um, flanking, the problem with flanking was the self-referentialness to flanking, meaning only flanking creatures 
Like, if you, if you had a flinking, you didn't get minus one, minus one, it made a lot of flavor sense because it was the flavor of the horses, but mechanically it caused problems that people didn't seem to remember that. that it, uh, one of the reasons flinking hasn't come back is that, that we kind of like the cleaner version, which does, hey, block me and get minus one, minus one, that anything that blocks me, um, and that remembering the self-referential element of it uh, actually makes it, made it harder for people to play and harder to remember. Um, and that's one of the reasons that flinking. The reason phasing hasn't come back is uh, it just had a lot, a lot of rules complication. Um, it's one of those things where if we actually... I mean, we figured out how to write it on the card. Um, but what happened... Modern-day phasing really is flickering. Um, and the idea that we, you know, we can send things away and come back. Um, a lot of what made phasing valuable... It wasn't that it was there every other turn, but rather that it had the ability to go away and come back. And so uh, modern-day sets have flickering, which captures... I think uh, the, the best part of phasing, um, but phasing hasn't come back because it's just kind of complex. Um, there's there's a lot more going on. Like it had this weird thing where it kept if you had enchantments on it, it kept the enchantments, but it didn't trigger comes into play effects. But it I think it did trigger the leave play effect. It, it, it was complicated. Um, uh, the other thing that it introduces, which uh, you also saw in uh, Return of Revenue, the Guild Mages. So uh, the way it did Guild Mages was. It had a monocolored card that had two activations, one in each of its ally colors. Um, and then the Guild Mages, as we redid them in original Ravnica, and, and then uh, uh, we did a new version in Return of Ravnica, uh, was more about, I, you know, I have activations of the color that I am, um, but they all still had multiple activations. A Guild Mages always had two activations. Um, I'm not sure somehow that, the, the, the Guild Mageness. Uh, but uh, that was the first set to do Guild Mages. Um, another big thing uh, that you would see us do later, but this is the first set that did it, is uh, Spirit of the Night. So what Spirit of the Night was, was a card in which there were three cards, um, Breath Stealer, Feral Shadow, and Urborg Panther. And if you got all three into play, you could turn them into the Spirit of the Night. Which, by the way, it was, it was supposed to be Spirit of the Night Stalker, um, but it didn't fit. The words didn't fit on the card, and so we had to chop it to Spirit of the Night. Um, and other people don't realize this, but if you, I think if you combine all the power and all the toughness, the, it, it, like, like if you put all, all of it together, that's what makes the creature. Um, and this, this was the first time that we'd really done the idea of, um, multiple cards can make up a singular card. Um, Visions would do it again, and we, we've done it a bunch in Magic, but this was the first, like, remember Mirage is relatively early. Mirage is, you know, year three of Magic, and so... I mean, a lot of things. I mean, oh, the other big thing Mirage did, I, I didn't even bring this one up, is Mirage introduced the concept of a block. Now, I understand that Ice Age kind of had Ice Age and Alliances, and they counted Homelands for a while, but um, I, Alliances was, met, was meant as a follow-up to Ice Age, but it wasn't, it wasn't in the same terms where Mirage was the first set were like, it's going to be a block, it's large, small, small, it'll go on the whole year. You know, Mirage was the first modern-day set where, where the sensibility of being a block and, and also, by the way, was the first set was really developed with the idea of thinking about limited. Now, we had a lot to learn. We did a lot wrong. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of room to grow, let's say. Um, but Mirage was the first set in development where really... Like, when I talk about the ages of, of magic, uh, I talk about the Golden Age, Silver Age, that Mirage is the beginning of the Silver Age, uh, as far as design goes. That it is, you know, it's the set in which, we, for the first time, we... Uh, we're much, much more conscious of the idea of a block and the idea of limited play. Um, 
and, and it was it was the entry of the new wave of of, of developers. Like I said, so Mirage to me is the the silver age, if you will, of magic design. Um, anyway, I've just gotten to work, and what I realized is I have all these awesome stories about cards, and and so I'm going to have to uh, continue this to next week. We'll do part two. So today I mostly talked about uh, the makeup of the team and the mechanics and stuff, but next week I'm going to talk about it's going to be full of, of stories because there's lots of stories about Mirage, and uh, I'm trying to to make these. Uh, the recaps of, of, of set designs a little longer because I know you guys like them so much. So uh, next week we'll do part two, which will be about stories, uh, Mirage card stories. Anyway, I'm glad you joined me for today. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it's time to go make the magic.